Say, that's it. You think of a wonderful thought. Any happy little thoughts? Uh-huh. Like toys at Christmas, sleigh bells, snow? Yep. Watch me now. Here I go. It's easier than pie. He can fly! He can fly! He flew! Now you try. I'll think of a mermaid lagoon. Oh, underneath a magic moon. I'll think I'm in a pirate's cave. I'll think I'll be an Indian brain. Now everybody try. One, two, three. We can fly, we can fly, we can fly! This won't do. What's the matter with you? All it takes is faith and trust. Oh, and something I forgot. Dust. Dust? Dust. Yup. Just a little bit of pixie dust. Now, think of the happiest things. It's the same as having wings. Let's all try it just once more. Look, we're rising off the floor. Cheer my knee. Oh, my. We can fly. You can fly. We can fly. Come on, everybody. Here we go. Up to Neverland. Think of snow, think of sleigh bells, off you go like reindeer in the sky. You can fly, you can fly, you can fly. Think of the happiest things, it's the same as having wings. Think of that, that moonbeams make. If the moon is still awake, you'll you see him wink his eye. You can fly, you can fly, you can fly. <laughs> There's a Neverland waiting for you Where all your happy dreams come true Every dream that you dream will come true Come on, Nana! When there's a smile in your heart There's no better time to start Think of all the joy you'll find and bid your kiss goodbye. You can fly, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly. There it is, Wendy. Second star to the right and straight on till morning. When there's a smile in your heart, there's no Think of all the joy you'll find when you leave the world behind and bid your cares goodbye. You can fly, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly. Oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> isn't that sweet? Um, the, 
Dizzy didn't write Peter Pan. It was written in uh, around 1900. Uh, Peter and Wendy was written in 1911 by a guy named James Barry. And um, uh, he, uh, he wrote himself into this story quite a bit. It's really about James. Um, he, he was the forever boy. And the movie's really cute and great, but his life was really, it's really tragic and sad, and it didn't end very well. Uh, James, he grew up in a, in a house full of a bunch of kids, and he had, of course, a mean and domineering father, so there's like some huge daddy issues. But he also had an older brother that was absolutely perfect. His brother did everything right. He was, you know, top of the class. He was athletic, and mom and dad loved him best, and so there were some major issues. Now, the older the older brother died at 13, and James was, um, he was obsessed about pleasing his parents, and so he would, he would, um, this is kind of creepy, but he would pretend to be his brother so that his parents would like him, and so he would use his abilities to, you know, you know, mimic and talk, and so he would act like his brother would act, and, um, it is, it's, I know it's a little weird, a little creepy. But to make matters worse, James never physically grew beyond five foot. Now, five foot for me is normal, but for everybody else, it's just a, it's a kind of a, you know, so he, okay, so he didn't grow to five foot, but he also, it seems like he didn't, uh, he didn't really hit puberty either, not until he was like 25 or 27, which is very odd. But he never grew facial hair, and his voice was always low. So he was, he in a sense, he was always the forever boy that was uh, that had that had daddy issues, and we also see the the relationship with the lost boys. Remember the lost boys, the, the kids, and they run around in pajamas and you know never grow up to. But he he, he had a, a, some friends that had this really family, the, the the ideal family, the the British imperial family that had that was middle class, and they had the toys, and the kids were like little wild Indians, and so he he had this adolescent fixation for these kids and they were the muse for the lost boys and uh, of course you know James Barry had his, his first marriage you know with train wrecked and you know you could imagine why but he, 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 he failed his first marriage and he fell in love with the woman of these kids and by time um, they, they were able to actually get engaged because her husband passed away and so he inherited the lost boys now, they never married because she died too. But re- regardless, he inherited her kids, the Lost Boys, and he would, he would play games with them, and, you know, they'd do imaginary stuff. They'd make the kids walk the plank and all these kind of things. He was a little odd. I don't know if we'd want him teaching Sunday school. But um, uh, I know we would, we would double screen this guy. Um, no, it's a different world. Um, but uh, the, the tragic end of it is that the Lost Boys, the real Lost Boys, eventually hated P, uh, James's guts at the end of his life. They quit talking to him. Uh, he always wanted his kids to be li- the Lost Boys to be little. He never wanted them to grow up, and they despised him for it. They quit talking to him, and one of the, one of the kids actually committed suicide because he was tired of being associated with Peter Pan. Because at the end of the at the end of James's life, Peter Pan was a huge success. He was rich, he was wealthy, he was famous, 
and uh, it, it everything that you could possibly want turn into a horror uh, story for James. And so it's tragic. Um, I, I I love the story of Peter Pan. I actually have a I have a you know personal connection to it. Uh, my very first play that I saw was Peter Pan, and my grandma Bo, when I was I was probably seven or eight, she bought me tickets to see Peter Pan at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. And so at the time, I'm like, this is the dumbest present ever. Like, where <laughs> where is the action figures and where's the guns? So I it's Peter Pan, and so this is what girls do. But Right, but I loved it. I didn't tell my friends that I loved it. And what what present do I remember today? Which one has the affection in my heart? It's the it's the tickets to see the play. Right. I forgot about all my action figures that that I destroyed. But I just you know it was it was that play that that that, that set something special in my heart. In addition to that, uh, when I was in the museum business, uh, Peter Pan was the first exhibit that uh, that I curated. And so I had, um, I had all of James Barry's original writings, and then I had the sketches for his, the original play for the costumes. And so I was, it, was, it was a really exciting thing for, for me to be a part of. Um, when we look at the story of, of Peter Pan, the first thing that obviously jumps into our mind is the name Peter Pan. And if we take a look at his name, there's, there's two things going on. Uh, and, and if you just look like names, first of all, Peter, and we all know who Peter is, right? He's one of the apostles. He's one of, you know, he was one of Jesus's, you know, tight guys. And so uh, we, have, we have this character named after Peter, and then we also have him named after Pan. And if you remember your Greek mythology, Pan is the god of the shepherds. It's interesting, right? So he's the shepherd god. Uh, he's also the god of the wild, and he's also um, uh, the god of, uh, he's the rustic god, and he has an, also an association to war. He's not Mars, but he's also a warrior god, and um, we actually get our, our word panic from Pan. So um, now, where the, the shepherd, where, where the shepherd God and Jesus, uh, though, that is about as close as you get, and in, in that, that, that is as close as they are. That's the only thing that they have in common, because Pan is a bad guy. He's he's horrible. He's uh, uh, he's he's a kind of a monster. He's a half human, half goat thing. So he's got goat legs and he's got goat horns. And I'd show you pictures of him, but it wouldn't be appropriate to show in church because he's just, he's just kind of a, he's just kind of this pervert guy. So there, there, that's where, that's where the, the similarities break apart. And um, to, to kind of continue, you know, you saw, you saw Peter like skating on swans playing his, his pan pipe. Okay. So the pan pipe came from uh, Pan's desire to be with a woman and, and chase her down. So it wasn't a good dating situation. And so, um, so he chases this woman down. He can't catch her, so he, he transforms her into a reed plant. And then he, then he takes the reed plant and makes it into his flute. And so that's where we get it. Interesting, huh? All right, so keep Pan in the back of your mind because we're going to revisit him at the end of the message. But uh, this, is, this is the whole thing. And uh, at the very beginning of the movie, Peter Pan is drawn into the Darling House. This is the, the British middle bourgeoisie's, that's the family name, is the Darlings, right? How cute. Um, so he, he gets drawn into this bourgeoisie, the nouveau riche of London, and uh, the reason why he shows up is because the family and the kids, they believe in Peter Pan. 
Out of everybody in London, they're the, they're the family that actually believes. And so Peter Pan, this, I don't know, this, this boy that doesn't grow up, kind of has these demigod at- attachments to him. So he is, he's attracted to the house that believes. And he shows up. And what he's looking for, his first visitation was in the form of his shadow. And so he's hunting down his shadow. And uh, the, the interesting thing, again, with the names, and I, this is all Josh, by the way, okay? I, I'm coming up with this on my own. I have, I have read nothing that associates uh, Peter with this case. But Peter Pan is hunting down his shadow. And then we know from Scripture that it was Peter, the apostle's uh, shadow, that actually healed people. So I'm, I'm stretching it, folks. I think it's fun, but I think there's an association between the Apostle Peter that Barry is making and, and Pan, the, the deity, the, the goat god. And so, um, so that, that's the initial connection. And, I, and again, a lot of these illustrations are going to break down, but I think that, that Barry is playing with a lot of major themes, and, and I think it's fun just to pull him out and see what he's up to. Um, okay, so... In the story, uh, of course, it deals with some very, uh, the, the main thing is, is connection to um, the, the, the spirit of the child. Hmm? That's, that's, what he's, that's what they're going after. It is the, it is the innocence. It's the, uh, the creativity. It's the joy of being a child. It's the, the carefree uh, spirit of being a child. Do you remember what it was like to be a kid? Okay. When we were kids, we actually stressed about stuff. And uh, now that we're adults, we tell our kids, you don't know how good you have it because you don't have to worry about anything. But actually, I remember being a kid and being, I was stressed out as a little kid because I wanted to be an adult. Remember you wanted to be an adult and you wanted to drive a car and and do adult stuff? And so this is, so the the childlike desire, that dream, to, and I can't believe I'm going to say this on Sunday, but that desire to connect to your inner child, uh, it's the theme of, of Barry's story, but it's also, uh, hang with me here, it's going to be, it, it's biblical as well. This desire to connect with your inner child is a, is a biblical truth. It's something that Jesus taught, and we're going to get into it. Okay, but t- trust me, it's going to be a rough ride. Okay, uh, so that's the major theme, and there's there's some spiritual um, there's some spiritual implications as well. So the supernatural element is is Tinkerbell herself. Tinkerbell, uh, this is the I think this is the third movie made in 1953. Tinkerbell is so popular that she becomes she literally becomes part of the Disney logo. So whenever you see, you, you, you fire up your Disney movie, you get the logo of the, of the castle, and then you get the Tinkerbell that arches, so she becomes a part of the logo itself. And then, of course, you have, you have Pinocchio's uh, uh, When You Wish Upon a Star theme going on there. So she's a big deal. And in this story, she, she is, she's the magic, right? She's the, the, the divine magic that, that, that brings uh, the supernatural into the story. And the interesting thing about her is she is going a million miles an hour. She's small. She's going super fast. And the way that it's written, the way that her personality is, she's so small and she's moving so fast that she only has room for one emotion in her, in her body. And so that's it. She has one emotion. 
She's too small-minded and, and too busy to be able to experience any other thing at, at, at any time. And so you, we see her um, process jealousy not too well. She gets very angry at, at Peter's advances towards Wendy. Uh, some believe, actually, in side note, some believe that uh, James Barry actually invented the name Wendy um, because of a, some way that some kid pronounced his name to him. So he, that we might, got, we might have gotten the name Wendy from Peter Pan. Interesting. Uh, there's debate on that. But anyway, um, so we see, we see this, um, um, we see Tinkerbell, she epitomizes everything that's magic. And in, even in the magic kingdom, she's attached to just about everything. So if you go to Disneyland and you see the fireworks show, they're going to remind you that this is a supernatural experience. And there she is. There, there is Tinkerbell. But uh, again, she is, um, uh, she is, narr- she, she's got this, I hate to say a small mind, but when she gets jealous, it, you see the rage come out in her. And she's angry. And she's spiteful. And she's vengeful. And she's out to kill Wendy. That's, that, you know, they play the, the cute little sweet music. But she's out to kill Wendy. She wants her dead because there's some, some jealousy going on. Peter Pan belongs to Tinker and not Wendy. So that's, that's the other issue. And then um, th- that's one moral lesson that, that Disney addresses. The other one is Hook himself. And Hook... Uh, Captain Hook, in, in from the very beginning, from the very first play, Captain Hook is always played by the darling's father, the father of the house. So when you when you go to the play, uh, you know, the, the beginning, there's the domineering father and the darling family that is telling Wendy that she's got to grow up, and he's kicking her out of the nursery, kind of like you're kicking your kids out of the house. So she, he's kicking her out of the nursery, and he's always he, then then he becomes Captain Hook eventually. And then the, the the same is true for the Disney movie. It's the same voice. So if you listen if you listen closely, you can hear the voice of the father and the voice of the Captain Hook being the same person. And then of course Captain Hook. Uh, he becomes, he is motivated by rage and anger. That is his driving force. He wants revenge because Peter Pan chopped off his hand. And another great, great illustration is that uh, he is haunted. He's driven by rage and anger, but he's haunted by time. Because he's got this, he's got this crocodile that's after that has a taste of, of man flesh, and uh, so he's got this crocodile that's after him. And he's got this watch in it, so he's haunted by time. It's just brilliant. So those are the, the moral things that, that that Barry addresses. But I want to talk about um, the the Magic Kingdom, right? So the 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 parallel that I want to draw is this connection between Neverland and the kingdom of heaven. Because Neverland is a magic place. It's, it's the second star to the right. You have to fly to get there. Uh, we're not quite sure if you're going through another dimension or if you're actually going to another planet. We're not quite, it's really bizarre what, how it happens. And, but it is, a, it is a magic place and it is full of adventure and a lot of interesting things happen. And what Jesus teaches in his message, his number one message that he taught when he came to the earth was the kingdom of heaven. John the Baptist preached on repentance. Uh, Jesus taught and preached on what it means to live and to function in the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to follow along in your notes, uh, the first point here, uh, how to miss entering into the kingdom, not the kingdom of magic, but the kingdom of heaven. How do we miss it as believers? How do we miss it as as people in general? 
Okay, the first thing that we got to do, that the first mistake that we make in entering into what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven is that we, we have Peter Pan syndrome. Another reason why Peter Pan is close to my heart, not only did I see it as a kid and got to play with the actual manuscripts, but I, I, I'm recovering from Peter Pan syndrome. Uh, in, the, in my 20s, I will admit it, I had Peter Pan syndrome. I didn't want to grow up. I knew that I had to, but I had no desire to grow up. I was having way too much fun, and I didn't want to take on responsibility. And so this actually keeps us from entering into the kingdom of heaven, is when we are we're suffering from Peter Pan syndrome, we don't want to take on responsibility for our lives. We would rather play. We would rather, we would, we want to ignore our problems, and we would rather just have fun instead. And this, it gets us every time. It is a major setback for actually every believer who, who wants to grow in Christ. In when you first have a revelation of who Jesus is, when you first experience his grace, it is absolutely amazing. It takes your breath away when you realize what was paid for us on the cross. It, it, it is extremely empowering when you see the kingdom of heaven working through our lives. When, when you, when you, whenever you put your hands to, it just turns to gold. And when you're able to minister to people's needs and you see them healed and you just see God working in you, it, it's, it's absolutely amazing, right? And we've all been there. We've all had that experience. We've all had that religious experience. But what Jesus says, in order for you to continue to grow... Actually, Paul says it. We're going to get into this. In order for us to continue to grow spiritually, you need to grow up. All right? Let's see what he says, okay? Uh, in your notes, I wrote down the verse. This is 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 11. And this is the love verse, okay? This Paul is talking specifically about the spiritual gifts, and the greatest of these is love. And so it is a very... Um, the passage is very subjective and it's very, uh, this is how you become empowered. This is how you become a, a, you know, a real boy. This is how you become a Christian, right? And then he brings in something that's extremely practical and pragmatic. And he says, you've got to grow up. He says, you have to get over Peter Pan syndrome. And this is what he says. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And now that I've become a man, uh, I am done with childish ways, and I have put them aside. Okay, I'm going to jump to the next point real quick, so I want to show you something. Jesus says in Matthew 18:3, he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? It seems like an apparent contradiction, doesn't it? Because Paul is saying, you need to grow up, you need to quit thinking like a kid, you need to quit acting like a kid, you need to quit reasoning like a child, grow up. And Jesus says, you cannot enter into my kingdom. You cannot have the kingdom of heaven expressed in your life. You can't have heaven on earth unless you become like a child. Now, okay, who trumps who? When, right? You got Jesus or Paul, right? Who are you going to? Jesus, Jesus comes first, okay. Uh, but you got Paul knew Jesus very well. Everything that Paul writes, he has, he has taken something that Jesus said 
and he's, he's amplifying it, or he's, he's, he's bringing it to the surface. He's uncovering, you know, he's uncovering the depth of what Jesus taught. So th- there actually, there is no, there's no contradiction in the text here. There is no contradiction in, in the Bible, and we'll, we'll, by the end of this, we'll figure it out, and I'll explain it to you. Uh, well, but Paul is saying, he says, look, and I got to think to myself, all right, who is annoying Paul right now? Because he's writing one of the most beautiful uh, passages in Scripture. And he says, you, gotta, you guys got to grow up. So I'm like, who is annoying Paul? Who in his circle of friends is like putting hot sauce in his, in his hummus? Who's short, you know, short seating his, his cot and, you know, say, hey, Paul, you got something on your shirt. Whoop, you know, who's doing that? Somebody's annoying Paul at this point. And, and but what the truth to, the, to it is, is he's saying, look, in order to go further, you've got to quit reasoning like a child. I have a seven-year-old girl. How many people find it difficult to reason with a seven-year-old? Have you tried to reason with your child? It's impossible. You could be Mr. Logic. You can connect all the points for them, and they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. You have to quit thinking like a child, meaning that Paul explains it in Romans, in order to be truly transformed, transformation happens in the mind. So there's got to be a maturity that happens in your mind in order for you to be transformed. So you can, we, even when our thinking, we cannot think like a child. And, he, and, and even in our acting, you can't act like a child. My, like back to my, my seven-year-old. Um, this will hopefully illustrate and highlight the, the flaws of, of childlike thinking. Um, kind of had a, this week when I was preparing this message, I had a little bit of a, a, of a conviction or a revelation about my relationship w- with Jesus, with God and the Holy Spirit himself. I mean, it's good. It could always be better, right? But you know what, you know what the Holy Spirit revealed to me this week? He revealed that, that Josh, your daughter loves me more than you do. So my child has, has more affection for God than I do. Now, trust me, I know the Bible. I know all the major themes. I understand the theological implications. I know both sides of a lot of different arguments theologically. I know this stuff. But my affection has waned. Only a child can understand that affection, okay? So this is, what I'm, this is the point I'm going to make. Um, uh, I was driving down the street with my kid. She says, Daddy, I know what I want to do for my next birthday party. I know what theme I want for my next birthday party. I'm like, oh, gosh. Here, you know, it's going to be My Little Pony or it's going to be Frozen or something else that's going to make me want to, you know, jump off a cliff. It's like, I just, okay, I, all right, I'm just preparing myself. She says, Daddy, I want to have a Jesus party. I'm like, What? It's like, I want to have a Jesus party and, and Jesus rock music and, and, and we can tell Jesus stories. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that is so sweet. And, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I'm a pastor and I don't want to have a Jesus-themed birthday party. I want to have a Led Zeppelin-themed birthday party. You know, come on, let's be honest here. And, and so I'm like, wow. And so I had this conviction. It's like, wow, she, she has this affection for Jesus that I, I don't quite have. And so... Okay, Lord, thank you. I'm listening. Okay, so she has that heart. She says, you know, we're going to play games. 
go play Jesus games. And, and the kids that get things right, the kids that win the game, well, they'll, go, they'll get a cross and they can take it home. Okay, here's, here's, this is how ch- children think. This is why Paul says it's bad. This is why Paul says you need to grow up. And then she says, um, and the kids that lose, they'll have to, fi- they'll have to spend five minutes on the cross. <laughs> All right? See, do you see the flawed thinking of childlike thinking? See? But see, we do this. You laugh, but even, even we do this. We, have a, we, have, we come up with these great things about how we're going to engage God and how much we love God. And then we, then we, because of our flawed logic, because of our flawed thinking, we say things and we do things that are as absurd as, as that. Because we're still childlike. We're still, we still haven't matured. And we, we, just, we, we just make mistakes like that. And so... Um, so you have, to, you have to be able to get over this Peter Pan syndrome. Now, it, the way that I see it, the way that I think it breaks down is there's, there's two types of folks on the planet. There's subjective people, and then there's objective people. The subjective people, and I'm subjective, by the way. My, I, I approach my faith and my, uh, my relationship with God on a subjective basis. I, I think it's preferable, but I need objective truth in my life. I have to have it or else I will go down a crazy path. I need, I, I, I know that God is real because I, I can feel the Holy Spirit ministering to me in my heart, right? And that's subjective. But I have to have the tangible written word, the objective truth to bounce everything else off of it. I need people in my life, and you do too. You need people in your life that will give you objective feedback. Oh, but the Holy Spirit told me that I need to go and do this. And, and, your, and your brother saying, really? Because that doesn't sound like something that the Holy Spirit would say. So you have to have people in your life that will give you objective feedback. Because if you keep on feeding yourself on subjective leanings or subjective impulses, you will lie to yourself. You will believe that, that your gut that your intuition, that your, your okay, your, I, I feel like I need to do this, is, is the Holy Spirit, and it's not. It's not. You have to have the objective side of things to balance you out. And so uh, um, this is why, this, again, this is why that, that being able to reason like an adult and not like a child is important. Now, I have seen this. I've seen this many times where people, again, they'll have the religious experience. They get, they get energized. They get, they get empowered. They see God doing amazing things. Yet, there's this big, ginormous problem in their life, and they, they, they don't want to look at it. They want to they think happy thoughts and fly away, but they don't want to deal with their problem, right? And in order for them to continue to, to do this religious thing, and again, this is subjective people, they have to use God to run from God. They have to, they have to fill their life with, with spiritual things in order to run from what God really wants them to do, and that's to, to grow up and to take care of some responsibility. And so again, we see people use God to run from God, and they will be led from, 
from Bible study to Bible study, from church to church, uh, to they'll be led from one thing to another thing, all for the desire to avoid what is really going on, and what, what the Holy Spirit is really directing them to take care of. You've got this problem, you need to take care of it. And so this is, this is, this is why we can't, as believers, think, act, and talk like a child. Paul's saying, you've got to grow up. Okay. One of the misconceptions that we get from Disney about being empowered by the Holy Spirit or, or supernatural empowerment, and, and we saw it in, in the film, is we think that we can sprinkle pixie dust on stuff and it's going to solve our problems. It's like, okay, I just need to get some Holy Spirit and I'm going to sprinkle it and it's going to, it's like I'm going to get my Bible and I'm going to sprinkle some, some pixie dust on this thing and it's going to take care of all the problems. And um, again, I'm not trying to bash Disney, but that is, that's magic, right? Uh, if we were to take it out of all the fun and if we really want to get down to it, that's witchcraft. And we as believers will function in this way where we'll get Tinkerbell or we'll get the Bible and we're going to sprinkle some Holy Ghost on this thing to fix our problem. And the misconception is, is that the, the power of the Holy Spirit, it, it's not dust. He is a person. And he doesn't get sprinkled on you. He flows through you. It is, it is not, a, it's not a charm. He is a person and he is powerful and he wants to live and dwell and function in and through you. So whenever a miracle happens in your life, it's not because of pixie dust, it's because the Holy Spirit, you have allowed the Holy Spirit to dwell and be empowered in you. So there's the main difference there. That is what you need to teach your kids. You know, magic doesn't exist. Divine power does, and divine power comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, on the other side of the coin, remember I, I, I told you what Jesus said? Your next point on your outline is you have, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven or the thing that blocks us from uh, entering into the kingdom of heaven, is that you have become a grumpy old person. You have completely uh, lived a life devoid of joy and of pleasure and of fun and of, of wonder and amazement of what God does. And you are more concerned about following the rules and you're more concerned about everything being black and white than you are about enjoying life or connecting with a loving father. Okay, so let's... Uh, this is going to be a, the chunk of the, mess, uh, the scripture today. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is going to tell us how to get into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They understand that the kingdom of heaven is hierarchical, hierarchy, right? There's got to be a king. It's King Jesus, and then there's knights and stuff like that. That's, that's the mentality. I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know could be, yeah, I'm sure. But Jesus kind of flushes it out. 
He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you change, other translations say, unless you repent. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you guys confused? Yeah, huh? All right, we'll go figure it out. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name uh, welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, okay, there's a difference right there. I want to highlight something. There's a difference between a child and now little one. He changed it. If anyone causes one of these little ones, uh, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to drown in the depths of the sea. That's just like awesome, right? It's, just, it's like Jesus the Soprano. He's like getting mafia on them. Like put some concrete shoes on them. All right. Um, Woe to the world to the world because of these things cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed and crippled than to have hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. That's awesome. All right. Did you get the point? Is Jesus is talking about maturity here, right? He's talking about take care of your problems. He says you, need to, you, need to, you can't get into heaven unless you're a child, but you need to take care of your problems. And he says, what do you think? If a man owns 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 he did, that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven will not, uh, is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. So there is a, the, there's a distinction that Jesus makes between children and little ones that, that I'd like to point out. I think it's important. Because he says that you have to be a child in order to get into heaven. And not only do you have to be like a child in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, um, you have to treat others with the same respect as you would treat a child. Meaning that, you know what he says? He says, um, if you cause one to stumble, and what it really says by looking down on little ones, if you cause them to sin, you're in trouble. That, that's a heavy statement for everybody in the room. If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, this is a very heavy statement, meaning that you, as a mature believer in Jesus Christ, right, you that know the Bible so well and understand all the rules, if you engage a, a little one, uh, a 70-year-old can be considered a little one. And if you look down on them, and if you're uh, disgust, and if your judgment about how immature they are spiritually, if that causes them to stumble, you're in trouble. What? So this is, it really boils down to some serious issues of the heart for believers and non-believers. 
um, the major theme that Jesus is trying to connect here in this story is, is he's dealing with his apostles who are saying, okay, who's going to be first? In the Gospel of Mark, we know exactly what's going on because in the Gospel of Mark, he says uh, that uh, the apostles were arguing about who's first. So they are already trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to be better than everybody else and we're going to look down at the people that aren't as cool as we are. So, this, so the initial major lesson that Jesus is teaching them is humility. You guys need to become like little children. You need to quit, you know, you need to quit sizing each other up. This is not how the kingdom works. And uh, so this is the major theme. So some people think, okay, so Jesus is really saying, no, yeah, I don't want you to become like a child. The real lesson here is humility. Yes, the major lesson is humility. But over and over again, we see Jesus referring back to becoming a child. What does he do with Nicodemus? He takes it a bit further with Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, if you want to, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to become a baby. What? It just it blew his mind. The guy that knows the scripture better than anybody else. It blew his mind because Jesus is saying, you, in order for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to become so dependent on me, you have to become a baby. You have to, you have to let yourself go of everything that, that you think is important. You have to release yourself to my revelation and my truth. Um, my child is growing and she's getting bigger and she's getting smarter. And I, you know, I'm not quite sure if she's a seven-year-old or a 16-year-old. So there's, you know, she's just like, what? Where'd that come from? Um, there was a time where my child would just, she just loved me no matter what I do, right? She's just, oh, daddy, I love you. She just, you know, climb up on my lap for no reason at all. She's seven now. And she's learning some things. Like, she's learning if, if she cuddles up to daddy and if she, if she does the, the googly eyes to me and uh, daddy will give you kisses if... And she just hooks me, man. I'm a big sucker. And she knows it. She's got me wrapped around her finger. And so this is our human nature. She will, she will use her affection to manipulate me. She is learning that uh, a relationship, you can get stuff, you can get things out of relationships. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's what kids do. We do it too. We do it too. It's part of our nature. You probably, you don't, you don't see it when you do it, but you walk into a room, you walk into an environment, whether it's church or work or a conference or a social gathering of some sort, and you are scanning the audience. You don't realize you're doing this. You're scanning the audience and you're thinking to yourself, okay, who looks like me? Who, who dresses like me? Who's thinking like I do? Uh, how do I get them in my upline or my downline? How, okay, this is a networking opportunity. If I waste my time in a conversation with this person, is it going to pay off? What am I going to get, to get out of this relationship? Most of our relationships are handled that way, even in marriage relationships. Okay, I'm going to get married and I'm going to get something out of this relationship. I'm not saying that it's necessarily bad, but we, what Jesus is telling us, you cannot approach the relationship with God the Father with, with those types of strings attached. 
with those types of expectations. And I have seen it. I've had conversations with people out here on the patio. They said, Josh, you prayed for me a couple weeks ago, and, and I really want, I had God come into my life, and it just didn't pay off for me. Exact words. You know, I, I invested my life into this Christian thing, and I'm not getting anything out of it. I have heard those words come out of people's mouths. And what Jesus is telling us is, is when you enter into a relationship, you can't say, okay, I'm going to get something out of this God thing, right? I'm going to put some tithe money in, and, I'm, and it's going to multiply. I'm going to get tenfold, right? I'm going to serve, and then I'm going to be recognized for my great services as a, as a humanitarian, and people are going to like me more, right? So there's all that, 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 that desire to get something out of a relationship. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. What I desire is the primal love of an infant that the only thing that this infant wants is the affection and love of a heavenly father. It is the child that just crawls up on the daddy's lap. He's not, he knows that everything that, that he gets is from the father or from the parent. And it's, 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 it's Abba Father. It's daddy. So in order for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and I'm not saying go to heaven when you die, but to have the kingdom of heaven function in our lives right here and right now, in order for us to have that, we have to say, Abba, Father. We have to say, okay, God, I, I surrender all. I don't, I'm not in this to get something out of the relationship. I love you. All my affections are turned towards you. How in the world do you do that? Church, you can't. That is a revelation from God himself. If you begin to think and use your mind and your flesh to figure out, okay, now I heard what pastor said, and I have to, I have to try harder and wish harder and have more faith to please God, and I have to not try to manipulate God to get God to do stuff for me. I understand that. So it comes from a revelation of God. Okay, remember, our, remember I told you to remember about the, 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 the great God, uh, goat God, Pan, right? Remember him? All right. Uh, right before this was written down in chapter 18 and chapter 16, uh, Jesus does something very interesting with his, with his leaders, with his apostles. And he takes them to a city called Caesarea Philippi. And this, it's a retreat. He's taking his leaders out on a retreat. So he's going to do some, you know, some bonding and some team building stuff with these guys. And he, this is a really odd choice because Caesarea Philippi was, uh, it was like a party city. And uh, you know who happens to be the god of the city? It's Pan. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi where, there, where there's a stream that boil, bubbles up and, and to this day it's called uh, Pan or it's actually called Panera because there's no P in Arabic. But Panera, uh, Panera is this, this stream that bubbles up and it is, it is a holy uh, site dedicated to Pan the God. And Jesus says he brings his disciples to this retreat area where the main God is the God of the shepherds he is the wild God, and he asks them a very important question. And Ed, if we could bring that up. 
This is what he says. This is chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus came, uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So here the, the, he's highlighting, you know, this deity, right, the shepherd deity, right? Who do they say? They replied, some say that you're, uh, you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah, or one of the, the prophets, one of the great prophets. Well, what about you? Uh, God does this to you all the time. It's like, um, hey, what's going on in your life? Well, my mom and dad are doing this, my brother's doing this. No, no, what's going on in your life? What do you think? Who do you say I am? And then we'll start talking about somebody else. Well, well, we'll deflect and we'll go to somebody else's problem. Who do you say, who, who do you say I am? Uh, Simon Peter, our man Peter, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this, okay, this is it, this is the, this is the point of the whole thing. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You didn't reason your way into this point. This is revelation. And when Peter gets the revelation, he gets it. He didn't learn it. He wasn't convinced of it. It just said, oh, that's it. You are the Messiah. And uh, we have another clip from Peter Pan. This is not the animated version, sorry, but this will make a little sense for the tying it in. say Jesus is Lord, but can you say you are the pan? You are the Christ. And you kneel down before him and you give him your symbolic sword, which is it, it is your natural earthly abilities. It is your power. It is your ability to do things without the help of God. And you, you give that to him. And then you declare with your mouth the goodness of God. You are the, you are the Messiah. You are the healer. You are the, the deliverer. You, you, you saved me from sin and death. It is this posture, this divine posture. Now, in two verses from two different writers that seem to contradict each other, they, they don't. 
Paul says, you need to get over Peter Pan syndrome. You need to quit thinking like a child. But Jesus never says, I want you to think like a child. He says, I want you to become like a child in your heart. So Paul says, you need to grow up and get over Peter Pan syndrome. And, and Jesus says, you, you, need to, you need to quit serving and loving, loving like an old curmudgeon and then to get stuff out of it. In essence, you need to become someone that has the heart of a child but the mind of a mature adult. That is, that is what we're all working on, I believe. That is our, that is our mission. That's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to lose the wonder of who he is and what he's done, the, the, the possibilities, the creative thought to make things out of nothing. Do we, he doesn't want us to lose that, that childlike heart, that child spirit that, that says, we're here to have fun. I don't care what happens. I'm in. I give you everything. Let's go fly. That's what he wants. At the same time, he doesn't want us to avoid things, to say, to hyper-spiritualize everything and not, not, not deal with what's really going on. He doesn't want us to make crazy statements like, let's hang on the cross for five minutes for being bad. Right? Have the band and the ushers come to the front. And on, as they're on their way up, some of the moral lessons in the story that you could tell your kids besides uh, growing up, you could, talk, you could show them the dangers of becoming jealous, of being like Tinkerbell and becoming obsessed with jealousy and narrow-minded and only, uh, only using one emotion. You could show them the, the dangers of being motivated by hatred. But the spiritual application, the spiritual story is, you know, you, you want to function in the kingdom, you've got to fly, you've got to... Don't, don't lose track of what's really important. It is, that, it is that how we relate to God in love on a primal level. As he's our, he's our dad, he's our Abba. Let's pray. God, right now we thank you for this day. And we thank you that uh, we, can, we can look at things a little differently. We can use culture to, to highlight what you have said. And we'll, God, I pray that you give us the maturity to filter out what is good and what is not good. But we know that all truth comes from you. And right now we know that, that the spirit of truth, who is Jesus, he desperately wants to get in. And the Holy Spirit is something that we just don't, we don't shake out or we tap. It is a relationship with a, with a person. And right now, God, I pray that we would have a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit where he can counsel us, he can guide us. He could say, you, are, you need to take care of this problem. And he could also say, let's fly. How about you and I partner up and we're, I'm going to heal this person through you. You and I are going to partner up and we're going to speak life into this death situation. You and I are going to go places. God, again, bless this offering to its full extent so that it could advance your kingdom here on earth.